0: Welcome to Growing Your Financial Advisory Practice podcast by Snap Projections, episode 60. I'm your host, Adol Bramensky, and my goal is to interview experts to provide you with insights, strategies, and actionable tactics that you can start applying to grow your financial advisory practice today. For more information and additional content, head over to snapprojections.com slash podcast. Now, let me introduce today's guest. Today's guest is Dr. Tom Deans. Tom is the author of Every Family's Business, the best-selling family business book of all time, selected by the New York Times as one of the top 10 books business owners should read, with more than a million copies sold in more than 100 countries. Having delivered more than 1000 speeches in 25 countries, his long-awaited sequel, Willing Wisdom, was released to critical acclaim and is already a Globe and Mail and the New York Times bestseller. Both of Tom's books deal with the intergenerational transition of family wealth. Like his books, his talks are unconventional and contrarian. Tom has been featured in numerous magazines and journals including Profits, Money Sense Inc., The Wall Street Journal and the New York Times, a frequent guest on CNBC Moneyline and BNN. Tom is a highly sought after international public speaker on succession planning, wealth management, and philanthropic giving. With his family selling businesses for more than 100 million, prepare to unlearn everything you thought you knew about business succession planning. Tom, welcome to the show. Pavel, great to join you. Excellent. So I'm super excited. I am ready to unlearn everything I thought I knew about business succession planning. So let's jump right in. So Tom, let's start maybe with some little bit of a background on the wealth transfers here in Canada. So just can you help us understand Do we have a problem here? You know, and if so, how big is this problem and how well are those families prepared?
1: Well, Pavel, it's a great uh, lead question. The magnitude of the problem is so staggering, you almost don't know where to begin. We know that every single day in Canada, $205 million is inherited. Do the math. For the next 10 years, that's just going to be over $750 billion. It is a tsunami of money. Never have so much money been transitioning across the generations. And yet, paradoxically, at that moment, at this very moment, there are fewer and fewer Canadians writing wills. So as we sit here today recording this, there is 12 and a half million Canadian adults missing the most important document in an estate plan. And that's a legal will. So if we think that this is a kind of a time that advisors are struggling to practice their craft and, you know, we hear about fee compression and overregulation and all the things that are raining down on advisors, I'm here to tell you that I think this is the most amazing time to be an advisor. If you've got 12 and a half million Canadian adults without a will, you have got 12 and a half million Canadian adults without a financial plan. What an exciting time! What an exciting opportunity when you begin with the end in mind. And I think that's really what I hope we dig into today is this this opportunity that is sitting in front of advisors, and it's not just 12 and a half million. Canadians who are, I don't know, not educated or poor who don't have a will, some of the biggest estate planning dysfunction is sitting with the highest net worth individuals in Canada, including business owners. So maybe that's a good place to jump in.
0: Yeah, so this is really interesting. We'll come back to those numbers and actually specifically to Will and lack of thereof. But uh, if you can take us back to your early days, how did it happen that you actually started being focused on that issue? I know you were a CEO of a large multinational family business in the past. I mean, is this where we started at the time? Take us back when it all started and tell us a little bit more about why you started being interested in that topic.
1: I started uh, really on the day that we we closed the sale of our business. We sold to a strategic buyer on February 8th, 2007. It was incredible timing. And I got to tell you, Pavel, we're not that smart. We were incredibly lucky to have sold our family business when we did, because literally weeks later, the, the capital markets crashed and then followed by the Great Recession. So I really wrote my first book from a place of gratitude. And that really turned into this international public speaking career. So like a 1,000 public speeches, paid speeches in 26 countries. And, and I was getting a ton of questions from my audiences. They were primarily business owners. And a lot of those questions were having to deal with the subject of, hey, Tom, if I do what you suggest and sell my family business, as opposed to gifting it to the next generation, and I have a liquidity event, and I find myself with $3 million, $30 million, $300 million of cash I mean, am I not just solving one problem and replacing it with another problem? I mean, how would I divide $3 million between my two children? How would I divide $10 million between my four children? I mean, is fair equal? How much is too much to give to children? When do I tell them? How much is too much? How much did I give to charity? How much is too much to give to charity? And so really what I was doing was solving one problem and replacing it with a far more vexing problem, which is... How do people, how do wealthy people transition wealth in a way that leaves the family working well when the person's gone? And I had no idea what a massive but also exciting subject that that was. And that really led me to write my second book, Willing Wisdom, and then followed that up with a, a digital software tool that helps families benchmark their current estate plans, reveal the gaps in their current estate plans. And that is sold as a subscription to financial advisors.
0: And we'll come back to that, uh, all of that. So so this is really interesting. So you, you've actually had gone through this on transition yourself. So that there's a lot of that you've learned in the process, I'm sure. And, and I think you, you've timed it again, timed it really well, because the outcome may not have been as as great, or maybe, you know, you would have to postpone basically uh, the selling, the, the acquisition or just did the whole acquisition to um, you know, enter under a few years later after after the you know, two thousand eight two thousand nine uh, crash happened. So, let's maybe talk a little bit about um, about this issue. You mentioned numbers. I mean, the seven hundred billion transition potentially over the next ten years. I mean, twelve and a half million Canadians, which is you know thirty what thirty three through thirty five percent of all Canadians. And of course, if we eliminate you know the people who are uh, you know your children, teenagers, that's that percentage is going to be even larger. But you know, if we are going to explore a little bit why we Actually, have this issue. It may be useful for us to focus on, you know, why is this issue in the first place? So, why do we have this issue? Is this, you know, I don't know, capacity issue that we do not have enough, I don't know, estate planners, advisors, or lawyers to work with clients? What what are your thoughts on that? What's the core issue here so we can actually start uh, dissecting this and and seeing how we can we may be able to solve the problem?
1: That's a great question. I would say there's a there's a couple of reasons that stand out uh, in my experience. One, lawyers are struggling to make money from the writing of wills. And this has been a big problem. I mean, your listeners could drive to an office supply company and get a will kit for uh, $20. bucks. there has been a real race to the bottom in terms of the quality and the, and the price of wills. And so I think the legal community, in fairness to them, have moved on to more fertile ground. And estate litigation, I, I think, is that, liti- that, that fertile ground. I mean, lawyers can make extraordinary amounts of money grinding families in dispute, I always say, you know, in my, in my webinars and my paid speeches, if you think divorce is expensive, that's like a dress rehearsal for the really big show, which is a state, a state litigation. That's where you're fighting for the whole thing. And so I think the cost of wills, the quality of wills has gone down. Then I, I think there's also just been a, a huge amount of intrepidation and superstition around wills, right? So you don't have lawyers pushing and reminding people to get wills. I think financial advisors have often thought of wills, the legal document itself, as the purview of lawyers, so they've kind of left it alone. Everyone's kind of left it alone and just kind of waited for people to do it on their own. But there's a lot of superstition around this subject. There's a lot of people who think that if they, certainly if they talk to their family about their will or their giving intentions, if they go to a lawyer and talk to a lawyer and write a will and sign a will, that they'll immediately die it's very weird. I mean, I remember, I remind people all the time. I speak about wills every day. I actually, I actually have a copy of my mill right, will right in front of me. I'm holding it. And I got to tell you, Pavel, I'm still here. I'm still here. <laughs> and then third, there is just a whole generation of Canadians who don't place a premium on the importance of a, of a will because their parents didn't. In many respects we're dealing with the first generation who has surplus capital. They're going to die with more money than they can they can spend. And so a lot of people look into their own family history for guidance on things like estate planning and there was just no conversation, no nothing culturally is guiding them. And so this is this is a big problem. This is a huge problem to remind high net worth individuals, especially business owners, that to do what their parents did, which is to leave this subject wrapped in silence, is incredibly dangerous. When business owners or any Canadian over 18 dies intestate, then the province of Ontario, Alberta, BC has their own unique formula for dividing up your business, your home, your cash, your canoe, your barbecue, according to that provincial formula. And I guarantee you that most people won't be particularly happy with that formula. Someone will be left aggrieved. Some family member will certainly be left scratching their head wondering, why the hell did a smart person do a really dumb thing? And so that's really what the message that I'm bringing is, look, folks, you can do this. Estate planning isn't just about answering the question, who gets my stuff when I'm dead? There's a whole part of estate planning that's very much about the living, that in the absence of estate planning, the living will pay a huge price. And I'm really talking about those two extra documents that people get when they come out of that lawyer office with a will. They also come out with a power of attorney and a healthcare directive. Those two documents are very much about what happens to your life when we lose control. If a business owner, for example, bumps their head and they're unconscious for a week or two, good news, they're going to get better. But during those two weeks, tell me, in the absence of a power of attorney, who's going to sign checks? Who's going to keep your business functioning? Who's going to pay your bills? If you're a business owner and you don't have a power of attorney, it is so reckless. It is so crazy. I mean, the family is going to have to apply to the courts for a public trustee to appoint that person. That doesn't happen overnight. It comes with great expense. These are such basic issues. And as we're going to pivot now and talk, I suspect, about advisors and how they can play a role. My goodness, what a valuable role for an advisor to add value to the client relationship in an area where every other professional has largely walked away from. I mean, this is the golden era for estate planning for financial advisors.
0: I could not agree more and uh, I, this is really interesting background and and, it's, uh, and thank you for talking about that because you're right uh, the thing is there's not probably a lot of money for lawyers to be made basically just for simply implementing wills right there's other areas that are just a lot more lucrative and basically that creates this gap in the market and and so if we don't change the existing environment ecosystem and uh, which, for example, is a you know, fertile ground for advisors, as you mentioned earlier, then this problem is not going to go away. It's going to get bigger. So there was one question I uh, actually wanted to ask, you know, is Will simply about dividing money amongst the family members? And you just said there's some other documents, right? But tell us a little bit more about this uh, kind of educational aspect that, uh, you know, why do you need Will, especially when it comes to business owners? So when we focus on, on maybe on the role of advisor, how do you think, what, would, what was the best per- perspective for advisors to have how they can basically fill this gap and provide advice to their high net worth clients. Where should they start? What should they do first? And how they should go about navigating that conversation with their clients? Well, I think the most successful advisors have always
1: done one thing universally. They've done one thing, and that is, they start at the very end. And they'll often say when they're onboarding a new high net worth client, they'll often approach the conversations in this way. They'll say, you know, hey, Larry or Mary, listen, I'm glad we met. But before I sit here and tell you what makes our company, our investment wealth management firm different, and how we do portfolio management different and better than our competitors, listen, before I get into any of that, I like to start at the end. And I want to know what's important to you. I mean, tell me, Larry, tell me, Mary, do you have a will? Now, that may seem like a strange place to start, but do you know what a will is? It's like an MRI for a doctor. The will and a conversation about a will reveals everything. For example, let's let's look at a couple of responses to that, to that opening question. Well, the respondent, the client, the high net worth client may say, actually, Mr. Advisor, I don't have a will. I mean, there's a one in two chance that they don't. That's a wedge. Now that advisor can say, my goodness, Larry, you are 64 years old. You have a business. I'm thinking that you are successful and you are missing the most important document In a financial plan, in an estate plan, listen, Larry, I don't know who your current advisor is, but I am deeply concerned about where you are with your planning.
0: Right. So this is a really well positioned thought, basically, to say, okay, well, here's a gap in financial planning. Nobody has addressed it in the past. Maybe we should start there. Okay. Yeah. Perfect.
1: So, and and maybe Pavel, the the other response is very quickly. Well, actually, I'm glad you asked that question. I actually do have a will. In fact, my current advisor has annual family meetings where we gather all of our family and we update our documents, share our documents. And this is all orchestrated by our financial advisor. You know what my advice is to the advisor asking the question, pack uh up, move on. Don't waste your time. That other advisor is your worst nightmare. That is the advisor that is so engaged, so smart and engaging high net worth clients in a part of their life that most ignore. And you're not going to budge that advisor. They have burrowed in to that, not just the client, but the client's family. Families are sticky. Families don't pack up and change advisors or firms. They're sticky. So the smart, the smart advisors are using estate planning to not only facilitate intergenerational wealth transfers, but they're doing that by gathering entire families as clients. It's a family-centric model. It's a version of the multifamily office that's been well in place in the U.S. for 25 years. We are so far, as a Canadian, this pains me to say this. We are so far behind the Americans. It's got to stop. We can do better here.
0: We have to. We have to, and well. So before we actually dive a little bit deeper and how advisors can help their clients, and, and how we can maybe help advisors as well to be uh, more more effective at, at providing this advice, I want to ask one kind of broader question about, as you mentioned, intergenerational tra- uh, transition of wealth. So. What are some of the things that you've noticed over the last you know, 10, 12 years as you're focused on this problem and on solving this problem? What did you notice about uh, some of the families, especially about our cultures, especially when, uh, when those families transition well successfully? So what do they do well? How do they approach this topic internally and their families and how they leverage advisors versus the families that, you know, the transitions uh, may go very badly?
1: I think if you look both in europe and if you look in at the us with the ultra high net worth market you can see that they are doing things very differently and they're doing one thing universally and that is they are central to an entire family's financial success in other words as i was alluding to earlier they are really hosting organizing, developing the itinerary, the engagement for annual or quarterly family meetings. So it's like it's a formal it's a more formal approach to wealth preservation and wealth transfer. And as I said, that advisor is central. That advisor is facilitating the resolution of family challenges. Like make it make let me be very clear. The most successful families, be they European or Americans, I mean, they've got divorce and addiction and all the challenges of wealthy families. But I can tell you what they do better there than here is the advisor is resourcing solutions and delivering them at the family meetings. And this is what makes them indispensable. And this is why you have generations who stay with one firm. It's a longer term view. It's less transactional transactional, and way
0: more relational. Have you seen some families that basically were able to approach this uh, topic uh, internally of to their families without the help of an advisor, or uh, maybe just uh, they have a lawyer, an accountant? But basically, do they really need somebody to really help them? Uh, can they take on this, or have they? Have you seen some examples that they they really taken on this uh, themselves? Like, do they do they really need somebody else to help them with, apart from what they have right now, apart from some of the professionals they work right now, like like for example, a lawyer or accountant? The
1: quick answer is absolutely yes. The do-it-yourselfers, they try and then they get so overwhelmed and then it just, it devolves. I mean, the thing that they fear is that the emotional component to the wealth transfer is so overwhelming that they bail. They may have one family meeting and then it spins out of control. Something's very interesting. I mean, I'm, I'm a speaking resource. I'm brought into family meetings all the time to deliver you know messages and open up communication lines and i got to tell you just by virtue of having an independent third party in the room people behave i mean people grow up in the absence in the absence of advisors people resort to their you know 15 year old psychosis right and that's not healthy so i think when families lean on advisors when they bring that governance structure transparency business like acumen to the conversation around wealth protection and wealth transfers, you get a different outcome.
0: All right. So that explains uh, why advisors actually are essential. And and, uh, I mean, really, the thing is, if if you're not an advisor helping the family that you're, for example, dealing right now with this topic, then sooner or later, they will find somebody else that's going to fill that gap.
1: Oh, I would say right now that any advisor who's got a high net worth client and they're not offering a, a family meeting, I'll tell you right now, someone else is. In fact, I would argue that the family meeting actually becomes the product. It becomes the thing that differentiates the advisor, the thing that the clients want the most. I tell advisors all the time, especially ones that are successful and have done a very good job of of building a practice around business owners and high net worth clients. I tell advisors all the time that they have clients who could not tell them to the nearest $100,000 how much money the advisor has made them. You know why, Pavel? Because they don't care. When someone is in their 60s and 70s and 80s and they have seriously more wealth than they can consume, that is not their main interest. More is not more. What is keeping them up at night is, who is going to take care of me when I'm old? What family member will I live with? Will I live with any of them? How will I transition my wealth? Do I wait to the very end and then die and then open the floodgates? Or do I transition some wealth now? And if the advisor aren't, isn't kind of meeting that concern and resourcing those issues, then someone else is going to come along and do it because this is a, an exciting and inversioning growing field. The good advisors are getting this and they're doing it.
0: All right. So the first really mistake, as I'm, as I'm hearing, is that, you know, advisors, you they're not providing the services. They're, they're not engaging in those conversations. I mean, they're missing out because, again, as you mentioned, somebody else is going to provide the service. So what are some of the other mistakes, I would say, the biggest mistakes that, that you've seen advisors do as they approach this topic? Like, what, what are some of the things that they should be doing better <laughs> uh, besides the fact of engaging in, and, and recognizing that this is a problem and there is a gap in the financial planning process for their clients?
1: I'll tell you right out of the gate. Half of all financial advisors don't have a will. Half of financial advisors listening to this podcast haven't done their own work. So you explain to me how that advisor is going to sit across the desk from a high net worth business owner worth $30 million and build the case for them to have a family meeting and share their estate planning documents with the family who will be impacted by their wealth. The advisor who doesn't have a will and hasn't had their own family meeting can't speak confidently about this subject. It's a non-starter. So immediately half of all financial advisors are out of the game. Just out of the game. That's why this is such an exciting exciting topic,
0: because there's very little competition. So you wrote two books. I mean Every Family's Business, which is basically the first book, really, as I understand, leaving kind of more operating business to, to family, addressing some of those unique challenges associated with that. And, and then there is the swollen Wisdom second book, uh, which is kind of more estate planning talk was so Let's maybe start there. Like, Who are those resources, those books, those resources for? Uh, who are there for just for, for consumers or is there value, for example, for advisors to leverage them with their clients? Tell us, who are those books for?
1: Well, thank you for asking that question because you know, I had some really great advice 12 years ago when I wrote the first book. I knew what my business model was. I knew that I have the attention span of a gnat. Like, I just knew that I would never want to be a consultant. I, I just... My experience running a large family business as CEO and then selling it, and that whole, and then writing a book about that experience and offering 12 questions. Those 12 questions in the book are really designed to give an advisor a process, right? But the advisor needs to be the person that asks these 12 questions of the business owner. So the book, the, from day one, the book has been sold in bulk to advisors who share it with business owners. That that was the model, and it's worked remarkably well. So 1.3 million copies sold, uh, New York Times top 10. It has been done on the back of financial services firms who basically sticker the book, brand the book, and then use it to both find prospects and onboard them and engage deeper.
0: You're actually providing this educational component up front. You're basically helping accentuate the problem and saying, okay, or help really advisors focus their clients on then this there is a real problem here. And you know, there's some really great resources. There's some really great books, written topic, maybe you can start reviewing some of the books after the initial conversation. Then uh, you mentioned earlier the Willing Wisdom Index. So what uh, tell us a little bit more about the software uh, platform, how advisors could uh, uh, get value from integrating this software platform into their practices, how they use it, what would be the outcome for uh, when they deploy the software um, platform, their businesses.
1: So really quickly, I was, uh, I was delivering, you know, before this global pandemic, I was delivering 100 speeches a year. And, uh, you know, you talk about silver linings. So a couple of things have emerged. One, there's a, just a huge, massive demand for webinars. This is where advisors are inviting their clients to listen in on a webinar that they organize. And I'm the guest. So that's been a nice surprise. I'm banging out three and four of those a day without hopping on a plane and reaching more people. And so three years ago, I had a feeling, I mean, I'm 58 years old, like I'm super elite. I'm on a first name basis with most agents, Air Canada agents, like it's not a good thing. And so I started to look at my life thinking, how can I take the IP, the ideas, the wisdom in my books and put it into a digital tool that can reach more people via advisors. And so I developed the Willing Wisdom Index. It is a checklist that includes 60 questions. This is um, basically we generate a unique link that advisors email to their clients. We provide everything, including the email templates. And then the prospect or the client invests a staggering eight minutes of their life to complete the checklist. And at the end of eight minutes, they're presented with a personalized 20-page estate planning report revealing the gaps in their plan. This software tool is really kind of been developed in the in the genre of gamification it's really turning estate planning away from this sad sad dark subject and turning it into a kind of a game. It's kind of fun. It's kind of like people are, especially business owners who are super competitive. They've got this competitive drive. They want to raise their score. So the first thing they the client gets is a 20-page is a report, but it's really presented much like a newspaper article where really all the good stuff is in the first paragraph. The good stuff is in the first page. They get a score out of 100. The median score of everyone who has received the report is presented. They receive letter grades on a couple of key areas, including healthcare communication, the potential for litigation in their family. And then they get a list of recommendations. And the recommendations push the client or prospect back to the advisor to receive guidance or an introduction to an estate planning lawyer. So my advice to advisors who subscribe is just make sure that you've got a lawyer that you feel comfortable refer to because you will bury them in work. <laughs> Remember, <laughs> half the people that the advisor is sharing the link with, I mean, one and two don't have a will. And the other 80% of the people who do have a will have terribly outdated documents, like their executor is dead or, I mean, big, big gaps. And so this is really also, I think, best understood as a sales wedge as well. So you can imagine that when an advisor shares a link with maybe someone they've met at a golf tournament or a charity event or through a social network, and they just you know we provide the email, but they share the link, and then that prospect gets I don't know twelve out of a hundred on their checklist. What do you think, Pablo, They're thinking about their current advisor and who has never asked them about even if they have a will. I mean, yeah. you see how that led, <laughs> right? They've just been wedged. That advisor's now got the foot in the door offering to meet, to help them introduce them to a, to a lawyer who can close the gaps and raise their score. You can see how
0: devastatingly effective this tool is as a sales wedge. Yeah, so this is really great. So you mentioned webinars, so, and, uh, and you also mentioned the pandemic. So one question about that, I'm curious, what have you really noticed then, I think, over the last two or three months as we go through the COVID-19 economic health crisis? Are Canadians, you know, maybe looking at their wills more frequently or trying to draft wills right now? Do you see any trends right now?
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, online uh, will companies like Willful, they're buried. People, I mean, think about it. You've got children for the first time saying to their parents, look, do you have a will? Do you have a power of attorney? Do you have a healthcare directive? If you end up in the hospital, do you understand that if you don't have those documents, if I don't have a copy of those documents, I cannot advocate on your behalf. You need to get this stuff done, mom and dad. This is important. And you have parents and grandparents saying to their own kids, look, we need to get our act together. This is up close. It's real. It's personal. If we don't know someone who has been affected by this pandemic, stick around. You're going to. This is a game changer. This has taken estate planning for financial advisors. It's taken estate planning from priority 128 to priority top three, right? People are afraid. They understand that they need these documents. So yeah, to answer your question, the Willing Wisdom Index, talk about it being the right tool at the right time. We're being absolutely buried with subscriptions. Advisors are signing up like crazy.
0: So how advisors can actually uh, maybe reach out to you? What's the best way for them to uh, you know, maybe start a trial? Or is there a free demo or something like that? What would you recommend? So
1: shoot me an email. All you have to do in the subject line of the email, put more information, please, and send that email to uh, sales at willingwisdom.com. And we'll be in touch. We'll schedule a call. We'll send you a link. You can demo the the tool. If you can send an email, you can use this tool. This is not exactly hard. In fact, we have advisors that are getting hundreds of clicks on their link. And I gotta tell you, Pavel, when that happens and someone receives a report, the reports that the client or prospect receives is branded with the client's name, firm name, and phone number. Like it's amazing. It's so easy to use. And they're also sharing their link on social media. LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook. So welcome to digital marketing. If you're an advisor and you're not using tools, not just this one, but tools like it, you're toast, you're, you're cooked. No one wants face-to-face meetings. Even when this is over, I gotta tell you, I think clients who have gotten used to Zoom, my father's 85, he's turned Zoom into a verb. He says, like, when are you zooming me? (laughs) Like, I think there's a lot of clients that are actually out in front of their advisors. The advisors have got to catch up to this technology. It's not that clients aren't going to want face-to-face meetings because it's not safe.
0: They want these meetings because they're more efficient. You mentioned webinars and, and uh, potentially inviting you to the webinar, talking about the topic with some of the clients, maybe private webinars for, for clients. And of course, you provide also tools, which is the Will Wisdom Index, and, and we'll link it up in the show notes here. So the last thing is you know, really uh, also answer, answer the question about uh, why now, right? And I think COVID-19 is really the catalyst for actually starting looking at, at solving this problem for advisors, basically for their clients right now, because things become more real. That's economic and health crisis has uh, really wrecked havoc pretty much globally right now at this point. And as you mentioned, I mean, everybody's more comfortable with doing things digitally, leveraging digital tools, whether it's Zoom or other tools. And so the time is right now. The gap in the market is really big, so I think it's a it's a great time for advisors to start engaging with their clients and and really start uncovering. Maybe they didn't know about this before, and maybe that's um, they should be started exploring this topic with their business owner clients more frequently. So one other question. So uh, I I know you're you mentioned that uh, you're doing a lot of webinars, and that you used to spend a lot of time on the plane, <laughs> which is not the case right now. But um, as you look at over next you know six to twelve months. What are some of the projects that you're most excited in your business right now? What excites you the most? I think it is the webinar.
1: I think it's actually integration of everything that I've done. So I'm seeing now advisors using this time to switch the, the channel with their and the conversations with their clients away from investment returns to other areas of their financial life where they can use this kind of reflective moment, a crisis, to engage and deepen the client relationship. Create stickier relationships. And so now what I'm seeing is advisors looking at digital marketing in a much more strategic fashion, and they are subscribing to the Willing Wisdom Index. They are sharing that with clients and prospects and driving them to a webinar. And then the webinar is no product push. It's educational. Again, more engagement. And then the call to action is, if you've enjoyed this webinar and you would like a copy of Tom's book, just email me. And so then the webinar leads to a sharing of a book, which leads to a one-on-one FaceTime or, or a Zoom meeting. Do you, like, do you see how kind of sequential it is? Advisors are getting smart. And none of this requires a stamp or an envelope. It's all about efficient engagement and education. And man, it is so exciting. I think I was on a webinar with they had, an advisor had over 500 attendees just from their email marketing. That's unbelievable. When an advisor hires me and I do an event in Kelowna, Regina, I mean, I'm getting 150, 200 people. There are, in fact, I would argue that webinars, there is something about the modality that allows wealthy people to kind of lay in the weeds on a webinar and listen and observe and consume the information. But as they're doing that anonymously, they're also getting branded. They're getting connected. They're starting to forge a relationship with the advisor. I am so excited about the reach of webinars, especially for advisors who muster the courage to have their first one. And then they're going to do what happened to me. They're going to slap their forehead and go, I'm such an idiot. Why didn't I do this earlier? This is
0: so easy. Wow. That's a great message. So all right, Tom. So this podcast is all about all growing your practice. And I have asked for a lot of wisdom so far, but do you have any parting words of wisdom for listeners? If we're going to just focus on one thing, what is the next step advisors should be doing?
1: Pull out a copy of their own will. Imagine that they are one of their own clients. And the questions that an advisor is asking themselves about their own late-in-life care and their own long-term care and their own Aging and all the impact that is have, going to have on their own family and their family dynamics. Imagine that those are the same conversations taking place in the minds of their best clients. And how then will an advisor then meet that client where they need help and make themselves indispensable? It's maybe asking a lot for advisors, but it is a new day. And the good news is some advisors are pivoting and others, are just kind of given up. Like they've run out of gas, they've had a good run. And so the good news popping out of all this is I actually think there's gonna be fewer advisors. And the ones that we're left with are the ones that were attracted to this industry for all the right reasons. And that is to ultimately understand that wealth has always been about family and family relationships. And I think when that penny drops, we are heading into, I think, as I said, the golden age of advising, the golden age of financial planning and estate planning.
0: That's a great message. So make yourself indispensable as an advisor to start engaging right now. So, Tom, if anyone wants to get a hold of you, maybe ask a question, maybe uh, broader about the topic, or maybe just uh, directly ask some questions, how we how can maybe uh, engage with you, how you could help. How would they do that? What's the best way to reach you right now?
1: You know what, Pavel? I'm old school. Here's my phone number. I answer my own phone. 519-938-2069. Seriously, you don't have to send me an email to schedule a phone call. Just call me happy to chat, happy to answer any questions you have. Or again, the, the email address, if you want a, a free demo, a link to uh, to try the Willing Wisdom Index or schedule a, a webinar, that is sales at willingwisdom.com.
0: Excellent. So we have the email and we have a telephone number. And uh, yeah, so if anybody wants uh, to hear a little bit more and get uh, a little bit more information, just connect with you, talk about the topic, that's uh, how they can do it. So Tom, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you for, for coming on the show. Well, thanks for having me. Uh, really enjoyed it that's it for this episode. If you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate if you left us a great review in iTunes, because that helps us get discovered. And if you want to get in touch with us, please email podcast at snapprojections.com. Thanks, and I'll talk to you next time.